Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. What's up, Rockstars? Welcome back to the UX Podcast. Matt Johnson here, as always, and we have a phenomenal conversation for you today. We're speaking with Jason Klein. He's the co-founding partner of Brandios, and they are super interesting um, design and, and creative agency based right here in sunny San Diego. I was connected with Jason through a mutual friend and uh, we got to talking and I love what they do. And uh, Jason calls it over specializing, which is a phenomenal name for it. So that's why the, the title of this episode is around how to over specialize and dominate because what Jason's agency does is they specialize in branding and creative and, and uh, logo design and marketing strategy for minor league sports and baseball in particular. And they started as college students, essentially working out of their bedroom and sent letters to 150 different minor league teams. They got one response, they got one client, and they leveraged that to go super deep. And now they are the category king in that market, uh, which gives them a whole host of advantages, which we talk about with Jason. So Jason speaks uh, not only to, you know, Google Talks, design conferences, you know, speaks to college students around the country um, about the concepts and, and kind of how they built their agency. There's a ton of valuable lessons, but here are a few things that really jumped out to me that I think you're going to take away that apply to anyone kind of in this world of UX. So number one is when we do over-specialize, how do we balance that urge for creativity with the need to stay in our niche? Like what's our creative outlet? So we talk over with Jason what that looks like and, and and how they have branched out to kind of scratch that creative itch while still staying in their specialization. We also talk about what are the X factors that their business is built around and how they divide their roles among their partners. And we talk about what makes a brand that people really connect with and feel like they can belong to. Because as Jason points out, minor league sports is very, it's very brand driven. It's very archetype driven because you want something that connects with the soul and the identity of that local community. And if you come up with a brand that the business owner who owns the team likes, often the it doesn't resonate with the people that are actually expected to show up to the games. And so Jason has a very difficult, but obviously creatively you know, fulfilling task of bringing those two people together and pitching the owner on something that the local community is really going to resonate with and they're going to identify with and feel like they're a part of the tribe that they want to belong to, but that also appeals to the owner. And those are not, you know, it's, it's very difficult. Um, and we deal with that a lot, you know, on, on our side and, and helping people launch podcasts that are branded, you know, according to a way that will build them an audience, but also appeals to them. And so there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of us in the creative fields are always bridging that gap. But I love what Jason's built. I love what him and his partners have done with their agency, how they've over-specialized. I love that term. I think it's definitely something that if you're going to start out um, in any creative field, uh, even in coaching and consulting, it's better to over over-specialize than to under-specialize. I see a lot of that going on where coaches and consultants don't want to turn anyone away. And so what really happens is they end up not appealing and not really strongly attracting anyone because they're trying to appeal to everyone. 
And so we talk about that with Jason. So this is a super fun conversation. Uh, Jason's awesome. I love the energy. Uh, so I, I know that you'll get a ton of value out of this and get some inspiration on how you can over-specialize in your UX machine. So let's jump in with Jason Klein of Brandios. Well, first of all, Jason from Brandios, welcome officially to the UX podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so stoked to be here. <laughs> I'm stoked to have you because you're one of the most interesting uh, agencies I've ever encountered. And <laughs> <laughs> you guys have, and, and you hit the nail on the head before when we're talking up to the lead up of hitting record, uh, you mentioned the term over-specialization. And yeah. that is exactly what you guys have done. And so just to share with people kind of the niche and the market category you guys operate in. We focus uh, specifically in minor league sports, so uh, heavily in minor league baseball. Um, we do soccer, we're doing hockey, uh, minor league basketball. We do so, do some pro work um, for the NBA and major league baseball teams, um, but uh, highly specialized in helping make sports teams famous. Yeah. So, so my first question is just how in the world did you guys, you know, for those that are listening and are going, how in the world do you actually make a viable business in a niche that's that narrow? Because you're talking about, I mean, what, maybe a couple thousand potential clients. I mean, maybe the minor league sports market is different than yeah. what I think it is. I'm a huge sports fan, but is it, is it around that size, two to 3,000 potential clients? Yeah, that's probably fair. Um, you know, when we started, we were like, you know, classic kids starting a business out of our college dorm rooms and we sent, um, it, well, I should back up. At that point, you know, there's all these, everybody dreams of doing major league work, you know, okay. and there's really like four, um, you know, four or five leagues and there's one decision maker at each league. So you have like five pieces of meat and a thousand, you know, wolves trying to, you know, scrap for this one meat and they have relationships that exist and, you know, who mm -hmm. are you? And so while everybody was zigging, we zagged and okay. we just decided we're going to go into minor league sports, which is, uh, you know, it's not as flashy and it's not, you know, what everybody dreams of, but uh, we found it to be really fun. So we sent 150 letters to every minor league baseball team in America. One got back to us and said, if we like it, we'll buy it. And um, we found that it was not only tons of fun in minor league sports, because the difference between minor league sports and major league sports um, fundamentally is that the minor league baseball teams don't control the product on the field. So the oh, talent yeah. is paid for by the major league team. So um, the game happens no matter what. And, and the, the baseball you know, the minor league team is owned by a private owner. The private owner is therefore not in control of the product on the field, but they control concessions and merchandise and sponsorship and tickets. And around the 1980s, they realized, you know what, not everybody's going to be a baseball fan, but you might just like to have fun. So we're going to give away yeah. a rally towel or a bobblehead and people came out. Yeah. And then they started having things like um, awful nights where they would give away bubble wrap or like, you know, used cardboard and there would be no fireworks show. There'd be in like just a video board presentation of a video of fireworks. And <laughs> people were like, I, I, I got to come out and see this spectacle. So okay. it got, you know, um, uh, it, it got, it's gotten crazy. The promotions are wild. If, you're, mm -hmm. if your audience is familiar with minor league baseball and when you can't control the product on the field, you are less in the baseball business and you're more in the circus business. Yeah. And so, uh, in that regard, um, it's really fun. Um, there's so many different businesses that you are, are you know, promoting, you know, promotions, mm -hmm. you know, Star Wars night, 
um, Jurassic Park 25th anniversary. Um, so there's a lot of pop culture stuff you get to play in. Okay. There's concessions. There is, you know, how to get fans coming out. And then, you know, even the team names like the, um, the Richmond Flying Squirrels and the Akron <laughs> Rubber Ducks and the, the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, to name a few, are designed um, to draw attention and, and to get mm-hmm. people focused on the product. Okay. Yeah, so there, there's a lot to love there. Number one, the direct prospecting is awesome. Yes, because you guys really set out. But there's the, you mentioned that you zigged when others zagged, and that that's a very interesting and extremely strategic approach that you guys took. Which I, I I hope anybody that's listening can find some way to kind of emulate that because you essentially took like here's our target client, right? Which is extremely difficult to get into, and and then you've got this kind of outer circle, right? The minor league teams, which in the absence of a specialized firm, they're just going to go with somebody locally. They're going to go by referral, which is how most people find an accountant, a lawyer, a financial advisor. Everybody goes through that same process. They end up working with someone local just because A, they're local, and B, they were usually referred, right? And so the way around that is to not just be somebody else who then has to get referred and has to be local, right? You guys went in and said, look, we're going to specialize. And, uh, to me, that's like the, and people will always like the, we know from, you know, the immutable laws of marketing, which we were talking about before we hit record, um, the specialist, oh, you almost always beats the generalist. Like you guys going in, I don't care if they're, it's on the other side of the country, the Richmond flying squirrels is, is more likely to hire you guys who do nothing but logos and branding for minor league baseball teams and other sports teams than they are the local guys who might be right there in Richmond, right. but who do everything. They that's did the right. financial advisor, the accountant, and the lawyer before they came to the major league there, the minor league team. And I think that's, that's one thing that's really hard and you guys hit on it. I don't know whether you guys just, that, that was your passion or whether you did it as a business strategy or not. That, that would be my, my curiosity is just how did you arrive at that? It was both. And, and to be candid, when we started off, we were you know, trying to reach out to you know, major league baseball, arena, football, colleges, you know, we were, we were all over the place because you're just trying to survive. Yeah. And then once you, you, we did a minor league project, um, and it got attention. Somebody else came calling and they said, Hey, can we do kind of what that other team did? And you started thinking to yourself, well, this is going to be a little bit easier to repeat. Mm-hmm. And what we learned the first round, man, we, we're not going to do a lot of those things the second round that we do this. Mm-hmm. And so by nature, you just get better at every iteration. And so, mm-hmm. so one of the things about specializing is, is not only do you, is it easier for people to say, I want the folks that do that, that specific thing, but, but as a specialist, each round you refine, refine, refine it. And I was talking to um, an NHL owner who was, who was um, uh, looking to do a, an NHL rebrand last week. And I said, well, you know, if you are a Madison, Advers- uh, excuse me, Madison Avenue advertising agency, you might do a sports firm, uh, excuse me, a sports logo design for a major league sports team once every five years, you know, every 10 years, they just don't change that much. We're launching like five minor league rebrands every year. And so multiply by 18 years, you just get good at process. You know, what do you say to the media when they ask about why are we changing? Um, How do you engage the community and name the team contests? You know, Mm. what are some of the talking points? What are the, you know, what are the manufacturer limitations to uniforms? Mm-hmm. We, messed, you know, we messed up on, on yeah. product one, but you know, 40 projects later, we're really good at doing unique things. And so, it, um, yes, in the beginning, it's, it, it is seductive to be able to say, I want to generalize. Mm-hmm. But when you specialize, you'll find it gets 
uh, it's easier to get work and um, you get work faster and you do better work because you're iterating and you're learning and you're, and you're improving every time that you do the project. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that you guys are doing that I love is you mentioned some of the other things that you're branching off into, but you've got your, you've got your beachhead yeah. and then you're going and saying, okay, let's take where, where does that same process and all the lessons and all the expertise that we built up in doing what we do, where else does that apply where it's virtually the same, but it's yeah. another untapped market. Uh, whereas most of us go, we work from the exact opposite. How do I sell to everyone? And then maybe within that, I have some people in there that are similar. We go like the exact opposite direction. And so I love what you guys have done, like establish your beachhead and then look around at the other places where, where it applies. What I'm curious about, given the fact that you guys are so specialized, you mentioned over-specializing. I mean, we're, we're all creatives. We all want that challenge of doing something new. How do you balance that and still stay within that micro niche that you guys have established? Yeah, so one of the things that... Um that I think you find yourself doing is that whatever you get in to the, uh, to the work doing, you wind up doing something else. You know, when we get in, we, we would get in doing design work, you know, designing logos and uniforms and mascots for, for sports teams. And then we realized that to be in this niche and to be known and to be famous for doing this, we had to educate ourselves about what the industry was focused on, what their hot buttons were. And, uh, minor league baseball, because the teams are in different markets, they don't compete with each other. So there's a huge culture of idea sharing. You know, what do they do in Toledo? Oh, that's great. We could totally do that in Durham. You know, what worked in Lehigh Valley? Oh, we could do that in Sarasota. So there's this idea sharing culture and everybody's looking at for ideas. And we realized that um, the more that we learned about what was important and how that culture existed, but also to be a part of it and to be yeah. a... Um, a facilitator of idea sharing, which we are today, mm. um, you know, we, we, we often get work because we're the idea sharers. Oh, here's what this team is doing. We think it might work in your market. Here's what yeah. that team is doing. It might work in your market. Um, oh, by and the that's way, your, uh, that's your, what is it called? The um, ops? Yeah. 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 yeah, the yeah idea bar. Yeah. We have yeah. a thing called idea bar where we interview, um, you know, leaders in the industry and we ask them questions about, you know, specific topics Dude, and then everybody tunes yeah. in. You know, we're, <laughs> it's we're exactly the, how I built like my podcast production I mean, business and ended up taking a bunch of clients in the same area. Yeah. It's just by being, being the one that facilitates the sharing of ideas. Cause it's very similar, right? Cause a lot of the top people in real estate, they don't compete head on with each other. There's usually a few top guns in each city. It's very, yeah. very similar. So the culture is very similar and that's a hundred percent true. If you become like the center of gravity, and you're the one that's facilitating them sharing the best ideas with each other, man, yeah. it makes a huge difference. It, it, I, and, you know, like, I've heard it in several different places. Like today, you have to be a media company. You, you yeah. have to be sharing ideas. You know, you're going to get the work on the back end, but it's not, you know, listen, there's a lot of great designers out there. There's a ton of great sports artists out there. Yeah. Design is subjective. Oh, I like that. Yes, it is. <laughs> so like, then what's left? And if you can be a facilitator of ideas and a conduit of, of what's going on in the industry, um, you know, podcasts, whether it's, you know, like real presentations, mm -hmm. um, it's just when you become the, you know, the, the person that people go to, I had, a, I had a, an, an owner of a minor league baseball team say, Hey, I, there's 160 teams. I just don't have the time because I'm running my own business to see what everybody else is doing. I just, I can't yep. get on social media, even though it's on social media. Um, I would actually 
pay you guys to go out and interview all of these clubs about what their best practices are and then just come sell them to me because that's yeah. like worth my time because I don't, we don't compete. We all share ideas, but I, I can't keep up with, you know, and I trust um, you're going to ask the, the questions to the other teams and the other, you know, uh, groups in the industry, whatever your industry is. Um, that's going to help me out. And, and, you know, and then that gets refined and then you become, so not only are you specializing in, you know, the actual industry, but you become a specialized person in the interview process and you keep, Mm -hmm. you know, doing better interviews and you bring better content and and more value to those individuals who are looking to steal ideas. And then, you know, so I, I, I remember I had an interview. We do debriefings every year with every club that we work with and we ask, hour-long, we just grill them with questions about how we can improve, what they liked, what they didn't like, mm-hmm. uh, how we could do better. Um, and I, somebody said, I don't necessarily pay you guys for design, although that is the end product. I, I, I pay you guys to bring me ideas. Like That's, yeah. that's why I'm, I'm in this. So whatever your industry is, mm-hmm. absolutely get into that. Be, you know, become the yeah, specialist, so podcast, yeah. interview, everything. Yeah. And, and there's no way to do that if you don't specialize. There's no way to bring that level of value. Yeah. And, and that, it's, the, it's funny that they were able to articulate it that clearly. Like, hey, we don't pay you, you know, yes, the design at the end of the day is, the, is one of the deliverables, but the strategy along the way and the ideas yeah. that you guys share and you, you guys are, you know, it sounds like you're turning into almost like you're using design, but what you're really also bringing is business strategy and a shortcut exactly. to get the ideas for strategy that they don't have time to gather themselves, which is exactly, I mean, one of the key ways that we add value to whatever we deliver, whatever the deliverable is, people are still looking for the strategy on top of it and they're looking yeah. to us to deliver it. Um, so let's talk I, about the strategy. I would, even, I, would even, I would even jump even and say that they want the playbook. They don't want the inspiration. Oh, yeah. They don't want the high level. Like they want to know what is the step-by-step playbook to execute that this <laughs> other person did. And if you can, yeah. you know, if you can, who are the vendors they used? Like how much did it cost? Yeah. How much did they make? You know, yeah, it's not going to work exactly in your space the way it works somewhere else. But no, but they want have a somebody's market. playbook. Yeah, mm-hmm. the playbook is everything. Yeah, everybody and their mom wants to inspire. You yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's inspiration is is an Instagram feed away. I mean, you you know that's uh, <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, the the actual and that's what's worked for me and and some of my clients on you know in the the industries where we serve is super super specific, incredibly detailed tactical content that yeah. they really can't get anywhere else. Like that we're in the shows that we do that versus the shows that are more inspirational and stuff like that. Yeah. Those have like incredibly loyal, small, but extremely valuable fan bases that listen to the show, consume the content, buy from the vendors. Right. And so there's this really nice virtuous cycle that ends up happening when you appeal right to the people that are, they have the money, they need the strategy, they want the playbook and they're willing to like when they find something they like, bam, they will slam down the money to get that, whatever that is. And, and if done right, and you do exactly as you described, and you tell a stranger what you do, it should sound like you're talking a foreign language. Like you should be that specialized that, mm. you know, that someone says, oh, what do you do? Well, I interview um, operations people you know, at, at minor league baseball teams who are looking to steal ideas from other minor league baseball teams or how to operate their business. Like it should be so irrelevant to a stranger. <laughs> That they'd be like, I, that, I, don't know, I don't even know what you just said. <laughs> where, where, but, but to your audience, they're like, wow. Like, like oh my God, I, I want that. I woke up this morning and I, that was like the thing I was most looking forward to. 
That's hilarious. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. It should sound like uh, it should sound like gibberish to somebody on the outside. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have one question for you that I was really, really curious about because uh, I'm I'm fascinated by branding archetypes. Yeah. And, and and you guys have to you probably go really deeply into this because uh, so I'd love you for you to share a little bit just on the strategy of how do you how do you develop a brand that's like rooted in a local culture that they will really connect with. Just give give us some of the process, maybe some of the key questions that you guys ask yourselves and the client. One of our favorite questions that we like to lead off with is if we were in an elementary school classroom and this community metaphorically was a kid in that classroom, what words would you use to describe that kid? And uh, instantly people are like, oh, I don't know. We're like, the, the, the city has, it's a kid with a little bit of an inferiority complex. Or, uh, you know, we, the railroad skipped us and went to the, that other cool kid on the, on the playground. And now they grew and they, they, you know, and we're, you know, we're trying to find our way or, you know, we're, we're not sure we're, we're a conflicted, you know, dual identity, you know, kid who's got two sides that can't really reconcile. And, um, that really opens up, um, a lot of, of, of the kind of conversations about, um, identity and, and how, how it boils. And you could use that, you know, we didn't invent that. We, 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 uh, someone told us that, that concept that you could use it for anything, but, um, yeah, you, you know, if, if you're in real the wheels estate, are already turning in my head, thinking yeah, I mean, about you know, my- if you're in real estate, <laughs> like if, if this, if this neighborhood was, uh, you know, was a kid in an elementary school classroom, what words do you use to describe that kid? Mm-hmm. And those words, like those are the words that you should use on your listing, like mm-hmm. a community that is blank. Yeah. So if you're looking for a community that is, you know, X, like this is the community for you. Yeah, that's really good. Okay. So thinking of them in terms of if they're an elementary school kid, what would they, what would they look like, sound like, what would they talk like and what words Meta- would they Yeah, metaphorically. Themselves? Yeah. yeah, metaphorically. Okay. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like, um, I, I know when, you know, uh, whenever we're looking at properties or neighborhoods to, to live over the years is, yeah, there's like, you know, there's the actual location, the physical asset that we're going to be moving into, but then it's like the area. What, is, what do I need to know about the area? And if I'm new to the town, I don't know any different and I'm only going on aesthetics, um, you know, there's that secondary element, which is what is the neighborhood like? What are the, mm. the type of people? What is, is it my type of people? Am I going to fit in? Am I going to feel mm. a part of that? And um, I think that would be a very interesting thing to play around with and, see, and experiment with is this idea of, um, of attaching and communicating the archetype of the community and the neighborhood that you're moving into Mm-hmm. Um, as a way to cut through the clutter of, you know, you know, how many fish angle photos we can get of a, of a property and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the lighting and the, you know, the dressing and the everything. It's like, what well, you know, at the end of the day, like when I drive out every day and go to work, what am I going to drive through? What's that experience going to be like? You know, mm-hmm. when I walk out my neighbors, what are they going to be like? Are they people like me? Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something I've been thinking about a, a lot lately. And, and it's, I, I wish it was a little bit easier to, I guess, relay and explain the concept because, man, it's so incredibly powerful. Yeah. But I, but I yeah, it's, I mean, I, I can see that in the work that you guys do, if you're building a brand that you're hoping an entire community comes along and supports, uh, you guys have to be able to tap into the psyche a little bit and really understand what makes that community tick and what yeah. makes, what is the tribe that they're that they already are in what's the tribe they aspire to belong to 
And, you know, what is that sense of community that you're building? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm from Nebraska. So being a huge, uh, you know, football fan, yeah. you cannot escape the Huskers. Right. And right. it has such a strong sense of identity that even around the country, there's, you know, Husker bars that are famous. Obviously, San Diego has the Duck Dive, yeah. one of the best Husker bars in the country. And there, there's something very palpable about going to that bar on a game day and seeing everybody in, you know, white and red or everybody has, you know, black shirts for the defense and stuff like that. Yeah. And for whatever reason, obviously, that that brand has been along, around for a long time. I don't know that they were able to articulate exactly what they've done, but they have this everyman identity that the majority of people in that state already feel like they belong to. And then the football team like taps into that and expresses that same archetype. Yeah. I mean, sports in itself is very tribal. You know, Mm -hmm. it's almost medieval. It's my town versus your town and what we stand for as a community versus what you stand for. And so a lot of the times, like, you know, one of the questions we ask is if, um, when, um, when people in El Paso talk trash about people in Dallas, like, what do they say? Yeah. And very quickly, oh, they're snobby and they're rich and they think they're better than everybody. And they, yep. so whether or not Dallas is actually like that is not important. No. What is interesting to us is, is the, the delta, the distance between how people, that says so much about people from El Paso as much as it says yes. people from, from Dallas. And then we reverse it when people from Dallas talk trash about people from El Paso. Oh, they're dirty. They should like be annexed. You know, they don't get respect. Right. Like, they're not even part of Texas. Yeah. Like they're feisty. And, and so when you, you know, when you, in our process, you know, okay, we're like, you know, okay, here, here's a community that sees itself as an underdog and feisty yes. and fiercely loyal and yep. doesn't get respect. Um, they happen to be in the Chihuahuan desert. So they naturally became the El Paso Chihuahuas, okay. um, which is uh, another you know, part of our strategy is, is choosing a, a name or a brand that cannot be ignored. So yep. when you hear you know, El Paso Chihuahuas and you say, I got to see that logo and mm. many audience will it's be like, vicious, in front vicious of the fighting Chihuahua. Okay, yeah, exactly. Chihuahua. And let me tell you, <laughs> if you Google El Paso Chihuahuas right now, it's not what you're going to expect. I'm not going right. to like explain what it looks like, but if you Google it, you're going to be like, that's not what I was expecting. And so um, that's another one of our strategies is sort of flip the script. What you think you're getting, but yeah. versus what you're actually getting. And so, um, you know, when I say Chihuahua, you're probably thinking, you know, Yokiro Taco Bell or Paris Hilton's purse dog. Yeah, cute. Not what you would do if you Googled you know, El Paso Chihuahuas. And so yes. um, flipping the script um, for what people think they're getting with you versus what they're actually getting. Um, your name is everything, you know, like a team like the El Paso Chihuahuas, people say, I got to see that logo. Or did you hear they named them the Chihuahuas? Like mm-hmm. that's millions of dollars worth of free advertising. Yeah, it versus is. just being like, you know, oh, the bears or the lions or like these teeth and nail characters. Like, oh, I get it. I can mm-hmm. drag it into my mental hard drive of things that I already understand. So, yeah, um, a lot of those, like by, by intention, I think, like this, especially the major teams, like they're meant to express that kind of dominant, either the hero or the ruler or something like that, you know, like, um, that's just, that's what they're Maybe. going for. I, think. I mean, because I think that's what the owners think that the, the audience wants, or that's yeah. the audience say, say they want. Maybe. Whereas, yeah. you know, if you're an El Paso. Well, minor league is by definition, like. It underdog. is underdog. That's correct. Yeah. So it's always going to have like an underdog tone to it. Cause they're always going to be like the second bill in town. Yes. Yes. So it makes sense to like, like everything has to kind of fit within that overall feeling. 
Yeah, I think there's also this thing as I think about naming of companies and businesses and, you know, this idea like, oh, we need a name that's going to be respected. Like, well, your name doesn't get you respect. Like if you're in business and you're trusted and people have a great time working with you and they come back, like then you're trusted, (laughs) you know. That's right. That's right. How, How respected is the Omaha Royals? I mean, exactly. Like, you know, like, that, like, like all these names, like, you know, like, oh, we need something professional. We need something yeah. like professional is not a look. It's the way that you perform. And if you can have an, a name or an identity to your business that is out there, you know, mm-hmm. people will be like, oh, that's great. They're not going to like say, well, you know, I'm not going to trust them because, you know, like you follow up with your client list and who you've worked with and, you know, we are trusted and, you know, so I, I never, well, that goes back to like, for you guys, it's interesting because you're selling to prominent local businessmen. Yeah. I guarantee you, most of them see themselves as either the hero, the ruler, yep. or maybe they see themselves as the rebel sometimes. And that, see, this is the you're paradox. selling to someone yeah. that isn't the archetype of the person that's actually showing up to the game. Yes. And I use this example all the time is that, you, you know, there's a sort of, stereotype of like, you know, the, the, the very wealthy um, individual who grew up in New York, they always dreamed of owning a piece of the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Now they own a team in, I don't know, uh, you know, Las Cruces, New Mexico. And they said, <laughs> I want you to design a look that feels like the Yankees. Yeah. That'll give me respect. Yeah. And I just want to, you know, like the Yankees don't have respect because of the pinstripes or the Navy. Like, you know, they say, well, how do we go about that? And I said, well, number one, have Tiffany and company to design your logo because that's, you know, who did the Yankees logo. Okay. Have, um, you know, Babe Ruth, have 100 years. There's things that you, you, you that have an impact on the Yankees brand like 9-11 and Jay-Z and things that you just, mm-hmm. you know, all these things yeah. that come together and, and over time. And, you know, give me 100 years and I can do that. But, um, but a thing like if you named your team like the Chihuahuas, it's going to get more notoriety. It's going to get more people talking. You're going to be on Sports Center because you named the team the Chihuahuas, and you're yeah. going to get the legitimacy as a business that you thought you were going to get by doing something that felt like the Yankees. Where conversely, if you would have gone and did something like, you know, I don't know, like the uh, I'm trying to think of a, of, a, of, a, of a flashy name because I never come up with them, but like, <laughs> like the Bears or like, you know, mm-hmm. something that's like, you know, mighty and majestic or, you know, the Majestics or whatever like that. You know, it's not going to be on SportsCenter. No one's going to care. They're yeah. going to like, again, they're going to say, like, oh, I get it. I'm going to drag it to my mental hard drive and it's something I understand. And you just, you, in our world, you never like, it's not like you can like run and chase down that person and say like, wait, come back. The logo is really cool. Like, wait till you see the logo. Yeah. Like, hey, I know you guys, you're the tigers. I got it. Like the bears or the whatever. Like, yeah. They've already kind of put you in a mental They've category. already put you in a box. Especially if they don't identify with that, with that type. Yeah. You yeah. Know, they, if the town, if the average sense. person in the town, that's just not who they feel they are. Yeah. They're the, yeah, they're not going to care. Uh, it doesn't fit into their mental category of who they are, or who they want to be, like what tribe they want to belong to. Yeah. And I think like as, oh man, as, as creatives and as like coaches, consultants, like, cause that's a, another big part of the listenership for the podcast. You know, I, I think it's tempting to like dismiss this stuff as that that's what happens out there in the wider world. No, no, yeah. like this is exactly what happens in our world. Yes. I don't care whether you follow a coach. I don't care whether you, you follow a certain consultant. If you're a creative worker, if you own a creative agency, like a, like a full-blown digital or, you know, marketing agency or something like that, um, that, tri- that undercurrent of tribalism is always there. 
and people yeah. want that and people crave it and they'll find it somewhere else. Sometimes it pops out through sports. Sometimes it pops out through other things. But I will say the people that I've seen that have built the best coaching consulting agencies um, have basically created that for themselves. Like the top coach in real estate, for example, that guy runs a tribe and yeah. those people are militaristic adherence and evangelist for his point of view and a way of life. And if you don't fit the way of life, you are not in the tribe. And if you're not in the tribe, you're not one of the cool people. You are one of the weak. Yeah. So you can hang out there, but you're not coming in here. Like it's so, it's super, super tribal. Well, guess what? That guy has a multi, multi, multi-million dollar coaching business that's been in business and been the top dog since like 1973. Right. You want to talk about somebody that's sharp and understands like human nature? That guy knows human nature. Yeah. And so it, I think it's tempting for us to go, no, no, like I'm going to do this. And that stuff really doesn't, that, that, that's part of the work we do for clients, but that doesn't apply to me. Like, no, no, it, it 100% applies to all of us. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of great points you put in there. And one is um, be a part of your client's tribe. If you're going to specialize, whatever yeah. your industry is, um, yeah, so I read a, a book about Nike and it said, um, we want to be the category protagonist. And I, when I read that, I thought, that's what I want for us. I yes. want us to be a protagonist for the category. It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with what we create, what we make, what we contribute. It is, I want to celebrate whatever my audience or my clients, their industry is, I'm just, I'm the category protagonist. And they mm -hmm. are like Nike is great. Like, and if you look at them through being the, the, the category protagonist lens, um, that's a great way for you to lead a tribe, to begin to lead a tribe. If you haven't read uh, Seth Godin's book on tribes, it's amazing. It's incredible. I, I highly recommend it. Um, but we're all part of tribes and, um, you know, if your friend does something, they're like, oh, it worked great for me. And you're like, I've never been in, I don't, I've never looked for a business to do that for my house. I need that. They're like, oh, you know, you're in a tribe with your friends. You're going to do things like your friends. In our industry, you know, um, there's sports teams that don't have a lot of money and they want a ton of attention. And if you're really good at that, yeah. uh, other teams that you don't work with, are going to say, I want to work with teams um, that get a lot of attention. And like, yeah. And, and this is the company that helps them. So that's the other thing about specializing is, is that once you specialize, it's real easy to sort of, you know, be a protagonist of the tribe, but also, hey, I'm really good at A, B, C, and D. And all the other members of the tribe are looking for A, B, C, and D. And so when you sell them, it's natural. It's like, yeah, you, you provide A, B, and C, and D, which is the thing that I've all, always been looking for because I'm a part of the tribe like those other people that you work with. And I think mm. if you just go on your Instagram account and you, you know, you look at, you know, you go into like, you know, who you follow, you'd be like, man, all these people that I follow also follow this person. It's because mm. you're all part of a tribe. Yeah. Anytime you go on an Instagram bio page and you see five, 10 other people who are following that same account. It's because you're all part of the same tribe, whether you know it or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Love it, man. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Um, all right. So tell people how to connect with you. Uh, Brandios.com or Brandios on all the social media uh, or Brandios Studios on Facebook. But um, if you're younger, we'll see you on Instagram. Or <laughs> That's <Twitter>. right. <laughs> um, I'm just joking. Uh, yeah. Brandios is where to find us. And um, yeah, if you, uh, if you like the, uh, you know, the show and um, comment on one of our posts and let us know that you listen to it.
Yeah, that, yeah, that's awesome. I was going to say the uh, so if they go to brandios.com, they can get the the link is there for the idea bar where they can actually see what you guys are doing to like yes. lead the industry, facilitate the conversations. I can't recommend that highly enough. So exactly. Well, cool, Jason. That was awesome. Now I believe that clarity releases energy. So I hope that this episode creates clarity for you by laying out a path forward in your business. Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast like this to help you break into a new industry or to establish yourself as an authority in a niche market, let's talk. We have a complete done for you podcasting service. Uh, That is my agency that I'm building and growing. And I'd love to talk to you about what we can potentially do for you. You can learn more at pursuingresults.com to get a sense of what our service is all about. And if you're ready, if you're really seriously thinking about starting a podcast, I'm happy to brainstorm your ideas and talk about the positioning of your podcast within the market, something that you can take away whether we end up working together or not. So you can grab a time on my calendar for a podcast brainstorm call at bookjohnson.com. That is bookjohnson.com. I just want to thank you again for listening to the show, for leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes and more importantly, for investing your time, your energy, your attention into the show. It really means the world to me that you would do that. So again, this is the UX podcast where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine and we'll see you on the next episode.